My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in San Francisco, California. We met in school and hung out, but didn't really get to know each other until we worked together after graduating. I'm grateful that she opened up so vulnerably and honestly here. In this conversation, we talk about looking for a feeling of importance, her reflections and response to death, and what she's learned from nude beaches. This is my conversation with Rachel Roberts. I want to talk about what you said. You, you said you started out that description by saying that you had a drive to be important, mm-hmm. um, and that's really interesting. What do you know? What that came, where that came from? I I have thought about that a lot, and it's come up again recently during uh, the coronavirus because I actually went home to live with my parents for the first three months of the pandemic. And through that whole experience, I was able to actually find out a lot about myself just by watching my parents. And it was one of those like aha moments where you're like, holy shit, I am my parents. Mm. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, a lot of things started to make sense that didn't make sense. And I came to a lot of conclusions and um, kind of centered myself around the fact that, you know, my, my life wasn't just random. It was pretty, pretty thought out. But, um, you know, I think if we go back to the beginning, my, my parents, I think they saw an interest in um, being an artist when I was a kid. So they, they put in all of the, this effort to make, make sure that I had all of the outlets that I needed to. Um, so they put me in like a, an art daycare, <laughs> mm. in which case, you know, I, I did a lot of ceramics and drawing and um, weird things with clay. So, yeah. So I think they, they, I started off there and then um, the drive to like be something I, I realized recently was partially because of those family ties, like my, um, I guess the psychology behind it was that my brother was a very outspoken person. And so Mm -hmm. I, and I was very quiet and something I wrote in a, in a journal recently when I was, um, staying with my parents was that my brother, while while he was learning to speak up, I was learning to back down. And Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that was a very, uh, important thing for me to find out because that is where the drive comes from is I'm constantly like searching for um, some sort of gratification within myself. And um, and most of that, I, I guess that is tied into communication and art is a form of communication. So, so yeah, I, I don't exactly know where it came from, but I think that that had a lot to do with it was just constantly trying to find the uniqueness in myself when I'm surrounded mm-hmm. by someone who is very, very sure of themselves. Um, got you. Got it. Okay. So that, that makes sense. I feel, I feel like I relate to that uh, in a yeah. little bit. So I, I would say my, with me and my brother, um, I would say he's very black and white, like mm. in terms of, I think whenever I talk to him, I describe him as like the most, if you ask him a question, he'll tell you the most honest answer because that's he's just so clear on what he believes uh, <laughs> that it's almost like he's like a like a like a stable 
um, I don't know what you like a like something that you can hold on to. You know what I mean? Like, like he's just there and he's gonna yeah exactly like a pillar exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where I feel I describe myself as like I feel like I'm constantly living in the gray area. Mm. Like I'm I'm always like wait this could be right but this this other one could also be right. So I don't yeah. know what I believe. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know I I actually came up with like a weird term for that because. I'm I'm also like dyslexic and since I'm very creative I like I don't know there's like weird weird words that come to mind when I'm actually looking for like a very specific word so I call that the octopus effect mm. <laughs> and uh I think that it's it's like when when you're around a really strong opinion it's easier to agree with them uh because they're so good at making like great points you know great mm. mm-hmm. and so then it's it's and that can be seen in like a social setting too, where it's like, oh, I'm feeling more outgoing because I'm surrounded by people that are outgoing and like, um, right, yeah, yeah. So it's like their confidence inspires you to be confident, but it may be in what they believe, not necessarily what you believe. Yeah, it comes down to like beliefs or like if somebody truly believes something, you can you can see that in them and and. I kind of use that as a rule of thumb for like religion as well. We're like, I'm not a religious person, but I can understand and empathize with someone who is religious because it is a pillar for them. It's something that has helped them shape the way that they see things. Yeah, and definitely. Things. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious um, what your parents or what your relationship with your parents was like um, growing up. And I'm also curious if that relationship has changed since you left home? That's a really good one because it, that only just recently changed. <laughs> so, okay. um, yeah, so I, I wasn't really close with either of my parents. Um, and I think that that was because I had this like massive craving for independence. I just really didn't want what they wanted to give me. <laughs> and I think that a lot of kids can relate to that just because there's certain settings that you can live in that make you grow up too fast. And I'm not saying that my house was that, but there were things in my life that encouraged me to seek that independence a bit more. Um, mm. And my, I don't think my brother had that effect because he, he was much more open with them. He would like talk about everything with them and I think what happened was I had this interest in independence and and so then I ended up leaving for college and was like oh this is exactly what I needed but then realizing that it didn't really bring me any closer to them because I didn't want to worry them you know I didn't want them to be concerned about the things that I was doing and you know we have a lot of um concerning people in my family that are like alcoholics and drug addicts and have a history mm, of that. So it's like they're they're I didn't want to make them worry about me falling into any of that stuff. So I, I did I just ended up not telling them as much as I maybe could have in college. And then when I went home for the pandemic, um I opened up to my dad and said something along the lines of like, well I've never really felt close with mom. And uh and then we had a conversation about it and it made me realize I'm like well why did I not ever choose that path? And so then I put in a little bit more effort to connect with her. And I think part of the problem was that every time that I would get to a point where I could share something with my mom, there was like 
a barrier where I was like, I knew that that's what she wanted. And there's like Hmm. this kind of, uh, I don't know what it is. There's a look on people's faces when you are, when they want something from you. And usually that's like a negative thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so in this case, you know, I think, I I don't know what the psychology is behind it, but I, I just didn't really want to give in. And um, so I started to give in a bit more when I was living with them because I was like, there's literally no reason for me not to. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel um, so you mentioned the the craving for independence. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's like this, this kind of fight against, I guess, internal fight against, um, you know, letting maybe letting your mom feel like you did something she wanted. Mm. I, I don't know if that's the description that's like yeah. a good description of it but I, I'm curious where do you think that feeling or resistance kind of came from um, do you know yeah I think I do know and uh I've thought about it quite a bit actually <laughs> um okay <laughs> but, but I think that the origin of it is that like when I was younger there was like a point in time where I experienced like a, a massive amount of death for like when I was way too young to have to really wrap my head around it. And Mm. I think I was seven. Um, And we'd, we'd basically uh, moved away or I think it was eight. Yeah. We moved away from my hometown when I was about seven. And then uh, when I was eight, we went back to visit and suddenly heard that like three of my friends had passed away in like a variety of different ways. Um, And then I went, and then when I went back home, we had a friend who, or a neighbor that had been fighting from cancer and she passed away soon after that. So there was like this part in my brain that was like, oh, I need to solve this problem. I need to understand it. I need to I need to figure out why these kinds of things happened. And I never really talked to my parents about that. So I think that there was like this part of my brain that was like, oh, you don't need other people to help you. You can do it on your own. Um, And no one should have to do that. That should be the opposite of what you do. You shouldn't introvert when you need people. So, So yeah, I think it took me a long time to figure out that that was like, an important thing to do was to trust trust people and open up to them when you need someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I um, so the topic of death is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. Uh, yeah. Maybe in the last few years, um, <laughs> I've been like kind of meditating on it more, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like I, I notice patterns in myself. So I have I have like a similar kind of resistance to my parents. Um, so I feel like I, I maybe, I don't understand exactly, but I do have a feeling of what it's like. And I feel like when I think about it and when I meditate on what I actually feel, part of it is because when I'm afraid of losing something or the thought of that being a, a, a like a, an idea that can be true, mm. um, I feel like I start pulling myself away from that situation uh so that i don't get hurt because inevitably i will get hurt it's like um i have this so my brother got a dog recently (laughs) and uh i was like 
Yeah, that's, I mean, having a dog is so awesome, but I can only think about, like, in 15 years, that dog is going to be gone. And um, I'm like, well, I don't want to get a dog because I know I'm going to end up really sad, right? <laughs> so it's like a similar kind of idea, yeah. Yeah, it's an avoidance of the potential future. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You, you outline all of, the, all of the different scenarios, and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yep, yep, okay. exactly. Yeah. But I also like, you know, on, on the subject of death, there was like, shoot, how many times? Two, two different scenarios where there was like a bulk amount of people that passed away in my life. Mm -hmm. And I had to kind of go through it again. And the second time was uh, right around graduation. Um, and I think how many, that was like four or five people um that had wow. passed away but uh along with that i was like one of the people that had passed away was my aunt or my great aunt i guess um and she i i thought that i knew her that was the weird thing was i thought that i knew her but i had only really known her from like my childlike perception of her you know i right. met up with her a couple times but she my parents told me, you know, recently they were like, oh, she had a very um, interesting bond with me because I think I reminded her a lot of her daughter. Um, and so she was constantly trying to, to help me be successful. She helped pay for a bit of my college and she, um, you know, would send me letters like every month, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is a very unique thing to do, but she also was a bit older. So receiving a letter had a lot more um, meaning to it. But what I realized afterwards was that she was immensely tortured by a few decisions that she made when she was like 25. And she had dementia. So around the last time that I saw her, she was like, we were out to lunch and she had this kind of breaking moment where she like grabbed my arm and was like, um, I don't even remember exactly what she said, but it was something along the lines of like, you need to do, you need to be really good at college because you need to live your own life and you need to be an independent woman and you need to do all these things and be great. And I was like, so scared. <laughs> I was so scared because I was still in college and I didn't really know who I was. And um, I think about that now and I'm like, holy shit, I really don't want to be that old person. I really don't mm. want to be that person that regrets one thing and the thing that she regret was she god what was it she married um a really wealthy like doctor i guess and then um her entire like i don't think she really had a very loving relationship and i think he was like cheating on her in a couple different ways and and they ended up splitting up at some point and then she married another guy who loved her but the the rest of the family didn't like her and mm. and they uh, were also fairly wealthy, and so they didn't want her to take all of their money, I guess. And so right. she had this really tortured adult life, and she always talked about traveling when she was younger and how freeing that was, and that was like the pinnacle of her life. So I guess to like wrap up, <laughs> the the thing that I've found from that is that even through all of these terrible experiences. And through me experiencing her death, I was like, I learned some of the values that I have now, which is just to be really present and really appreciate 
what is happening right now because you'll never be 25 again. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's really um, scary to think of a future where I have that much regret. Yeah. Def do you live life like that? Do you constantly ask yourself, like, will I regret this when I die? Or, I mean, is that something, is that an idea that keeps going on in your head? Well, I think that, I think that, um, it's less regretting the things that I've done and, and more regretting the things that I haven't done, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, like, uh, like I grew up with a lot of travel in my life. And so that's been a really important thing for me is to, uh, learn about the world and to, um, learn about different cultures and, um, kind of prove myself wrong. <laughs> so, yep. so yeah, I mean, that, that's an example of it is like, there's these things that people think that they've lost as they get older. And that's like the accessibility of travel or the accessibility of like making bold moves. Um, and they think that all of those opportunities are gone and it's really, they're not, but you have to like learn how to do those things before you think that you can't anymore. And so traveling, I guess is, is a good example of that for me. It's like, I want to always be a traveler. <laughs> So you can yeah. understand why COVID is hard because I, yeah. <laughs> I am a traveling body. I can't sit still for too long. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, I feel like people that are introverted want to be out. You know what I mean? I was talking to a friend the other day and I was like, can you imagine the hugs that we're going to give each other when oh we start God. going out again? I've thought about <laughs> it so much. I've thought about oh, it so man. much. It's a craving at this point, for me at least. Like, I'm like, I can't wait to just even like, you know, high five somebody and yeah. pull them in for a hug. You know what I mean? Like, have, do you have memorable hug? Like, do you have a couple in your memory bank? Yeah, I have for like sure. at least three that I think about. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird thing to say, but but it like they were they were like really memorable hugs. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like if I can recreate that after COVID, then I think I will feel like I will feel fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think I'm a little uh, too skinny to do that. Like it's gotta be a, an all enveloping <laughs> hug, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if you want to like talk about the topic of death anymore. I, I would love to hear like what other lessons you've, you've learned from, just reflecting on that and experiencing that like you, you talked about your aunt's death um and you you had other people die at the same time and in groups what what else have has come out of that for you when you reflect on it um that that yeah it has been really impactful on my life and i don't think i have gotten to the full eclipse of like what all of that means to me but each one of those experiences has meant something different. And it's probably like closer to the first time in my life that I've been able to like actually talk about it because um, there was a point in time where I wasn't really able to talk about it. But um, I guess another example that was from that second group was, um, has a little bit of a backstory. Um, but before, let me see. So before college, um, I was kind of dating and like a nasty, a nasty guy. Um, he, he didn't have the most 
respect for women and was very possessive and, um, you know, had a lot of his own problems that he reflected onto other people. And there was a point in time where he, um, he got into a car accident and he had to go live with his parents in, um, in, uh, near Portland. And I was still living in Washington at the time. So, um, the part of my brain that felt like I had any sort of autonomy over myself was like pretty much shut down. And, uh, there was one weekend where I missed my, so he basically, I, I would like to say made an agreement, but he told me that he would like me to visit him on the weekends. And, uh, so for like two months, every weekend I would take a greyhound to his house and hang out with him for the weekend. And I was still in high school. So like I'd come back and have school and, uh, you know, live out my regular life. But, um, basically there was one weekend where I missed my, I missed my greyhound and he was like losing his mind, absolutely losing his mind. And, um, my parents were pretty wrapped around his finger as well because they were really scared for me. So they, they ended up going on Craigslist and finding me a driver, which is like, I think about that now and I'm like, my parents must have been petrified. Um, but the crazy, I don't, it's like, I don't believe in religion, but the guy that I met saved my life. Like, um, he's so hard to talk about. (laughs) Um, his name was Adam and he, uh, happened to have the same last name. So his name was Adam Roberts. Um, And uh, he basically kind of just asked me about why I needed to go down to Portland and um, helped me open up a little bit. And I feel like that was like a pretty pivotal moment was learning that people tend to open up to people that they don't know, which is like the weirdest psychological treatment of your friends that you could imagine but um he kind of picked my brain a little bit and eventually kind of came to this nugget where he was like you like I told him about losing a lot of myself to this to this guy and he was like you don't need to change for anyone and it's a very simple thing to say but at the moment I was like holy shit you're right and um so then I think after I hung out with um, my boyfriend for the weekend. I left and then I called him on Skype and broke up with him over the phone. Um, Cause I didn't, I didn't really want to be around him in person um, when I did that. So I called him and he, um, I guess this is a story of like a death that doesn't actually have to do with my boyfriend, but then my boyfriend, uh, as he, turned off the camera he brought a gun onto the screen and then he turned it off and um and I I called his dad and I was like you need to check on him right now and luckily he was fine but um I guess the so he didn't actually do anything that that like really affected his own life but then later on I started I think it was like shoot, maybe three or four years later, um, I saw an article article about Adam who had died in an avalanche. 
And um, I don't know, it made me really, uh, really grateful for just the simple things that he had said to someone he didn't even know and even offering to drive me. Like, I just, I became really grateful for the little things that people can give, you know? Yeah. Man. Yeah. <sighs> I got a little bit more emotional than I expected, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry um, that that happened to him. Um, I, I honestly don't even know what to say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that both you and I have a kinship with uh, death and, yep. and it's become this thing that kind of wraps itself around everything that you experience and um, mm -hmm. at its center, it should be something that inspires us to, you know, respect one another and be thankful for the decisions that we've made in our own lives and um, the things that help us grow and definitely kind of being, being independent, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I feel like, it's a truth, like everyone's gonna die. Um, and it's a scary thing to think about because it's so permanent. So that's the thing, but I, f I feel like you're right when you start like looking at it and start mm -hmm. confronting it. I mean, you were kind of forced to look at it, but yeah. maybe for the rest of us who haven't um, either dealt with it ourselves or had people in our lives who had died, um, maybe that would be something that I think inspires people to um, not just like make decisions about how they live or what to do in their life, but maybe like how they treat people. You know what I mean? Like yes, your time like, is finite, so how would you how do you want to spend it? Yeah, with who, and with who? You know, if people treat you badly, then you should ditch them. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you exactly. Know, know your own worth and know know the possibilities of your friendships and. Yep. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, understanding that, hey, uh, I heard I heard a quote that uh, uh, or like a saying that was like, uh, whatever you're doing right now, somebody has died doing that. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, but it's, it's terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah. But it just reminds you that's like, um, you know, you can die anytime and anywhere. Um, yeah. But yeah, what, what were you saying? What quote? Oh, no, I just like I found a screenshot on my computer recently and it said, find what you love doing and let it kill you. <laughs> and I was like, interesting, nice. but it's also like, like, if you do the thing that you love until you die, then yeah. that does follow those rules, you know? Basically. Yeah, definitely. That's <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it was such a great gift for uh, you, you said his name's Adam, right? Yep. Yeah. I, it was such a great gift for him to like give permission to you to be yourself in a way. Um, yeah. And yeah. maybe it's not permission. Maybe it's just reminding you that, Hey, you have the power to be yourself, which that's such a beautiful gift. Yeah. And he, you know, I was, I think 16 at the time and he mm. was, he was probably in his late twenties, thirties, like early thirties. So he'd obviously experienced more life. And, yeah. you know, I feel like I learned more about him after that had happened. So 
God, what had happened? I think we somehow became friends on Facebook and and I just like learned about him as a person and he like had a very pure way of just like living his life the way that he wanted to live. Like he mm. built out a truck that had a house, had like one of those like really cool houses on the bed of the truck. And, mm-hmm. and he just like lived on the mountain for skiing. That was his like life. And I guess that follows that same rule of find the thing that you love doing and let it kill you. Yeah. <laughs> like, God. Yeah. True. True. Full circle. He was like the biggest, like just skier. It, it was really inspiring to see that, but to find that in the most random place, like from a Craigslist dude that like mm-hmm. my brother came and like, with like took photos of his license plate and like took photos of him and like shook his hand and was like, you're going to take care of my daughter, aren't you? And it was <laughs> my sister and not my daughter. And I was like, yeah, it, it was interesting to see that kind of like protective nature of my brother as well. Just like, yeah, there was a lot to learn through that whole experience, even though it was um, unfortunate. It came from unfortunate situations <laughs> yeah yeah for sure oh my god um, yeah yeah i, I want to talk about relationships and, and we're talking about it a little bit but um when i think about the 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 people that i have in my life um one of the things that i notice myself subconsciously doing is being around people who are better at, than me at something mm-hmm. um and that could be like if they're funnier than me or if they're better at articulating ideas or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I'm, I'm curious for you, when you think about the group of friends and people that you have in your life, uh, what do you, if you observe them, what do you think you value most in people? Hmm. Yeah. Um, so that that's something I've, thought about a lot as well <laughs> and uh, I think it kind of comes down to me having a certain amount of energy and um, really enjoying giving that energy to some people and really not enjoying giving it to other people <laughs> um, so so it's uh, and I'm pretty ruthless with it <laughs> and I've, I've learned to be that way just because there've been people that kind of, they want that energy and because they want it, it's, it's not a balanced friendship, you know, it's, it's very Mm. excited. So, um, I also realized within the last like two years that people who aren't entrepreneurial don't really last that long in my life. (laughs) And, Mm. and I'm, I think that it's because I really thrive around people who are inspired and people who have dreams for their life and people who are willing to kind of sideline other people's opinions for those dreams. Um, And you find a lot of those qualities in entrepreneurial people um, because they have such a vision for their life. And I think that kind of comes back to that octopus effect I mentioned where um, I surround myself with entrepreneurial people because they inspire me and hence then I can inspire myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So 
I, I find that the people around me that are entrepreneurial, um, well, I don't know if they're, I, I wouldn't say that all my friends or the people I surround myself are entrepreneurial, but there is a quality that I really admire that I recently kind of uh, figured out, which is the trait of curiosity. Mm. Um, and I find that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial people are curious in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Just the, just the having the discipline to dive into something so deeply to understand it. I think that that takes a lot of curiosity just to be like, I want to figure out what, what the answer is, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that curiosity is really inspiring in itself. Completely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's that's also just a very important quality to being an artist. <laughs> so, right. like, yeah. you know, uh, that kind of comes back to your first question, which is like, how do you manage um, the psychology behind being around people who are also really good at art and mm-hmm. and managing your own um, your own values in that, I guess. Yeah. I think that there was like I said in the beginning, like a really strong urge to be like unique and have, have something to tie to my name. Um, you know, and so art was my way of doing that. And then, you know, as I went into college, like I basically went from high school where like there was a handful of like really geeky artists that I was all friends with (laughs) and and then everyone else like maybe took an art class but they really didn't you know it wasn't part of their essence um they were just getting it for doing it for a credit uh and and then you know you go from basically being like a handful of maybe five people to like going to college and everyone is exceptional at what they do Right. So so then that I guess like I've tried to figure out where like my dreams come from, which is like a weird thing to think about. But uh, basically in college, I always had these like this vision for what I wanted. And then when I got out of college, that stuff was like I'd already checked all the boxes. So I was like, what the fuck? I don't have any dreams anymore. <laughs> like that that creeped yeah. me out. That made me so <laughs> scared. I was like, I don't have a vision anymore. Uh, yeah. So, and that's when those, those kinds of like questions about uh, what you're good at, you know, started to creep into my mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that I only really, I guess like a way for me to kind of be proud of myself was like, I, I just would take a lot of notes. So the first year that I was out of college, I wrote down every single thing that I learned through my job. And then Mm. at the end of the year, I I didn't look at it at all until the very end of the year. And then it was the most impactful thing because I was like, oh shit, I am really good at these things. Like (laughs) I can do this. Like I'm here for, because I worked hard and I, because I earned it. And, um, and so I think that it's easier to, find those nuggets in yourself you know but when you're looking at someone else it's easy to think like oh why am i not as good as them like why am i not able to match that but when you have these like pinnacle things that you can use to describe yourself and be confident in in yourself um it's easy to kind of quiet that darker commentary yeah that's um that exercise that you do the 
like writing in a journal everything that you've learned mm-hmm. or done over the year that's a really cool exercise uh, I think I might have to steal that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really like I've been meaning to do it again because uh, another quote from college I can't even remember what teacher it was but I, I always chose the hardest teachers because I was like, yeah. you're going to teach me something. And that definitely proved me wrong numerous <laughs> times. Uh, yeah. but, but basically one of the quotes was, as a designer, like the minute that you stop learning, you stop being a designer. Yeah. And I was like, God, you were right. And I didn't see how <laughs> right he was until... Uh, I got into until I got out of college and I was like um, every day you learn something new especially with design everything is is based in innovation so if you stop learning you stop having value yeah you know exactly even just down to programs you know like only knowing Rhino versus SolidWorks like come on (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, for sure I I've um, I've heard the idea of like so I see learning as like a way to get new ideas or, or mm-hmm. like learn new ideas and new information. But I heard the phrase, uh, it was like idea sex. So combining two different ideas to make a new mm-hmm. idea. And that's oh. like where the innovation comes from. Huh. Um, yeah, I really love that, that the way of looking at it. But yeah, that's, that's, I see that as a value of, for the designer, I see that as uh, why we need to keep learning because the more we learn, the more we can combine these random ideas together and make new ones, you know? Yeah, that I have a similar phrase, and that's basically, um, you are the breadth of your knowledge. You know, mm. if you travel mm-hmm. a lot, then you can be influenced by the things that you see while you're traveling. Right, oh, yeah. And, and if you don't travel at all, then you're only, you're limiting yourself to the scope of what you see on your Instagram, or like, right. whatever, you know? So like, I, I, you know, really put curiosity as at a high priority. Yeah. Um, when you lost, when you, when you realized that you had achieved all of your dreams <laughs> and then you were like, what? Oh fuck. Now what do I do? Um, what, what did you do next? Um, no, you know, I went into a pretty dark hole actually. <laughs> I was mm. like, God damn it. Like what's next. And then I got scared of, um, you know, what I'd been talking about earlier with my aunt, where I was like, oh, God, like, I don't want to live a stagnant life for the rest of my life. Mm. You know, I was like, worried that if I didn't have dreams, I would just become a floater and not really have the ambition that I've always had my entire life. I guess that's interesting that that's like, it became a part of my soul to be super driven and have goals and to be almost like a grass is greener kind of perspective. And then right. the minute that that was gone, it like really tore my brain apart. Um, but that's just adulthood, I think, in a nutshell. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do next? It's your decision. Uh, yep. So um, we had recently been talking about this like calendar that I made around that. Yeah. Um, and I, I basically like there's a bunch of rough shit that happened after after I graduated and I had to really dig deep into myself to like figure out who I was going to be. And um, I feel much more comfortable in the state that I am now, but it took a while to get there. And one of the things that I started doing around that time was I 
I drew out a calendar, which actually started in June. So it wasn't actually like a, you know, a, a standard year. Um, but it was, it started in June and then I basically just would fill in a color according to the emotion, the end emotion that I had at the very end of the day about that day. And I started this calendar, um, to help me kind of, uh, dig myself out of that hole and be like, okay, every day is unique, but in the grand scheme how many good days do you have a month? You know, like, are you actually depressed or are you just, mm. you know, imagining it? Um, and so basically for the, the worst days, I would color them completely black. And then for days where there was like kind of an unfortunate thing that happened, I would do like half of the box black. Um, and then if there was like, if I just kind of felt incomplete, I did a gray, a half, half of a gray um, mm -hmm. triangle. And then, and then if for like days that were just content, they were white. And then for the exceptional days, I'd put a little plus sign um, for the things that were really memorable. So, um, and then I think about three months into that, I was like, God, I'm actually a pretty happy person. You know, I think it's just those bad days can eat at your brain and then they become these sore spots that you go to when you feel exceptionally shitty, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was a good reminder that um, in the grand scheme, I've been a fairly content person. Yeah, that's that's great. I love that. I might have to steal that one too. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's almost like, in a way, it's holding yourself accountable yeah um and it's also like facing a reality um you're right i think we focus on the negative events way more than we focus on the positive ones and the positive ones almost seem to be like just a uh ah, that's a day but <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> it's easier to forget the positive days yeah yeah exactly yeah um so i i do something similar but uh i so i i used to basically at the end of every day, I would look at my checklist and just confirm like, oh, I did this and I did this. Because mm. what I found for myself was, and being like the type A kind of personality, <laughs> um, I've always wanted to be productive. And so, oh, and I, and I didn't feel productive for a long time. And so I started looking at the end of the day, like, oh, I did this, oh, I did this, oh, I did this. And mm. it kind of, um, it made me feel better about myself, <laughs> which is really vain to say, but you know, it, it really did help my mood and then my motivation and my momentum moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so I posted that on Reddit and somebody called it a ta-da list. Like Ooh. there's a to-do list and then a ta-da list. <laughs> oh, I love that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I haven't really named my calendar, my <laughs> calendar way of living, but uh, yeah, that's cool. I, I like that. That's kind of similar to my list of uh, learnings. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's see. I Let's talk about this one. Um, there, there's a funny story that you told me. Uh, it's kind of funny, but it's not funny. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that so I'll you, laugh at my own joke. <laughs> <laughs> so you told me a story. I think it was when we were in, in uh, Vietnam, actually. You told okay. me that you went to a nude beach with your friends. Oh. And do you, do you remember this story? 
No, but uh, I've been to several nude beaches, so. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so I think what you told me is you went with your friends and there was a moment where your perspective changed. Um, you, you said that in the beginning you were like super shy about it, about mm -hmm. being in that place and being naked. And then, and then you said after like a few minutes, you we're like, why do we even wear clothes? Do you remember this? <laughs> um, the thing is, I think that train of thought has hit me every time I've gone to a nude beach. <laughs> so I'm like okay. really trying to trace back the nugget, but I could, I could help. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I could help finish the story. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, I don't know if there is anything to come from this at all, but I'm just curious what your experience of that was, and like, have you drawn any anything from it? Yeah, um, I think I do know which story you're talking about because it was with a group of people that I don't normally go to nude beaches with. So um, that being said, uh, as everybody became more confident in their nudity, I was like, why do we need clothes? Like this is, you know, like if people can be their most raw and natural self around you without any clothes on, like why would you take that away from, away from yourself? And um, I think that we have too many social like ties in the U.S. particularly um, to the taboo of being naked. Um, you know, like the movies tell us that you shouldn't be naked. All of the advertisements, you know, Instagram, you can't free the nipple. Like that's the whole thing. Um, yeah. So I, I think that. Um, it's a very freeing experience to be naked and be comfortable because you are naked physically and mentally, you know, like all of your internal worries about yourself, which if, if any of them have to do with your image are like just out in the open. Um, yeah. And I think that there's, there's like really, there's a, I call it rabbit holing. It's basically when you go so deep into your mind about, your personal worries that you forget if they're actually real or not. Um, huh. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Can you, <laughs> <laughs> can you, can you explain what you're, what you're talking about? Like, yeah. what, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Describe the experience of that. What is that like? Okay. So I didn't actually coin that term. My boyfriend did, by the way. Um, okay. Because I would come to him with like these like problems, and he'd be like, "You were overthinking the shit out of this." He's like, and so he started calling it rabbit holing, <laughs> um, where you're just digging an endless hole to China. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. You're like, I don't even know how to get myself out. Um, but uh, I think it, it's there's so many things that you can tell yourself. Um, and continually just poke yourself with them and say, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I don't have, you know, great hair or whatever. Anything that you can imagine, someone has been worried about it. And, and when, I guess to tie it back into the nudity story, uh, it's like when you are naked and all of those things are out in front of everybody else who has similar worries, you realize that they don't actually matter that much. And, mm. and that you're just in this like flesh bag. That's yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flashback. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um 
Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing because I definitely get eaten up by these kinds of things. And I, I don't really know how to stop myself from thinking them. And I think mm. that um, that's been like a perpetual goal of mine is to like find ways to calm my brain when I'm like on fire. <laughs> when my, mm. my rabbit holing is just so deep that I can't, you know, pull myself out. So I've come up with a couple different ways to, to center myself. But I think that that's a core belief with like meditation is to yeah. help find your core self when you feel lost. And, Definitely. Um, and I've been interested in meditation for a long time, but I've never been able to like really get to the full extent of meditation. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. um, it's fucking hard. <laughs> I, I actually, so I have a calendar thing that I do too. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just made it. It's like, of course, as a designer. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I made like a 90 day chart uh, mm -hmm. with 13 weeks. So it's uh, like three or four months. And um, basically I'm trying to meditate for an hour every day for 90 days. And um, it's been pretty interesting, actually. Um, I, I use a Sam Harris waking up app, which is... Oh really amazing uh because i've i for me personally i'm not like uh you know i feel like i am spiritual in some way but i feel like i don't resonate with the the ideas that a lot of and also like the music the weird music in the background <laughs> with the guided meditations i don't really resonate with that mm -hmm. with him it's more scientific mm. so i it, that connects with me more um so i feel like that's a great way to do it but yeah I, I think a lot of people have talked to me about meditation because they know I meditate and they talk about how it just doesn't come to them or it doesn't come easily to them. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. It doesn't come easy to anybody. <laughs> it's yeah. not supposed to be easy. <laughs> and there's, there's also like this misconception that, that meditation is a way to clear your mind, but your yeah. mind is always running. There's yeah. no way to stop your mind from thinking unless you're asleep and then you're dreaming. So like yep. when your brain stops, you're dead. <laughs> so like, <Right. laughs> I think that that's like a really important thing to think about when you are learning about meditation is that it's basically a way to like, it's like a filter, you know, you, you are paying attention to the thoughts that you're having and then like confronting them. I guess yeah. that's the way that I've heard about it. And um, and a lot of people are discomfort. They find discomfort in that, and so they're like, "Oh, I don't like meditation." <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing as the the thing about death that we're talking about. It's like when you're silent and you have to sit there. You now have to. You, well, let's let's say you don't ever do it. Like your entire life, you've gone without thinking, and you've been distracted watching whatever, talking to whoever, doing mm -hmm. something. Um, you're not used to sitting with your thoughts. And I feel like, a lot, like for me personally, and this relates to what you were talking about with like trying to achieve. Um, I feel like a lot of times I try to achieve as a distraction to get away from my insecurities, um, mm -hmm. which I don't want to deal with. And when I meditate, it's like you can't help but have those thoughts come up. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely resonate with that. And that's something I've been trying to face at least right now i started listening to a lot of podcasts um particularly audrey marcus a lot mm -hmm. lately 
And it's like, God, there's so much potential in the brain. And we're so used to just kind of sweeping it under the rug. We're like, oh, I'll deal with it another day. And it's a very lazy lifestyle. And it's a very like stagnant lifestyle. But it goes back to that same core belief that I have where I'm like, I don't want to live a a life that I am that I that I am not proud of. Yeah. And so that that's definitely something I'm working on is is trying to face a lot of those uncomfortable things about myself that are not helping me progress forward or learn anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's really hard. I mean mm-hmm. I'm nowhere near where I want to be. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm the opposite of where I want to be. I feel like um and I feel like, like I, go ahead like I think also though but once you achieve that what what would be next you know like you'll just you uh, it's hard because like if we keep living with this grass is greener kind of mentality then right. once you get to the green grass then what happens like do you just have another goal like I think we have mm-hmm. to get comfortable with the fact that we're never going to be the full image of ourselves. Yeah, that's very true. Something else. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's a good point. Now you're making me like just you just kind of shut me up right there. <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah, let me confront that real quick right here on the you're podcast. Like, Shit. <laughs> like I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> Um, okay so Hmm. let's see I think I maybe have a couple more questions Mm -hmm. Um, and then before we wrap this up um, let's see okay so there's one thing Uh, there's like family stories Um, I don't know if we touched on any yet but a lot of families have stories that they tell over and over and it could be like you know, one of those old stories that are passed down from generation to generation. Um, or it could just be like a story about something that you used to do as a kid that was funny or that stood out or be, that that told your parents that you were special in some way. Yeah. I don't know. Um, for me, one of the stories, I mean, there are so many stories. There are stories about me always standing up in my crib and looking out the window at the trees, uh, mm. the wind blowing through the trees. Um that was one of them. I don't know the meaning of that, but I'm just curious if there are any stories for you that were either passed down or just told a lot growing up. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So I, I've been thinking a lot about, um, I guess I'll, I'll tell this story because I've been thinking a lot about it recently and it's not actually really a story. It's kind of just a lineage, but um, I think that there's, Um, A lot of discussion, not I think, I know that there's a lot of discussion right now about um, history and um, race and lineage. And um, I am white, I can say that, but there's also a lot of history on my European side of my roots. So um, I guess a story that I would tell is about this like really obscure pie that they make in my, in, in, in my, in my family. That's like, we never really even made it, but I, I would, you know, travel to Europe and I would meet my family. That's like 
so farly like they're so removed in terms of blood relation but it's like oh uh. god but you're still my family anyways it's called a pasty and it's basically just a meat pie and mm. um it looks like an empanada just straight up um but it's called something different and it has different ingredients but I guess um, a cool like kind of history behind that is because it looks like an empanada, you know, it has this like rolled edge on the, around the perimeter. Um, the coal miners would eat these um, and they would hold on to the crust because it wouldn't get coal on the, um, on the part that they would eat. And then they would just throw up the crust. And I just remember hearing that story and being like, shit, there's design in everything. Like, <laughs> this is just a fucking pie. And it was like, literally, I designed a project or I started a project around it my freshman year that, sorry, my sophomore year, that is like one of my favorite projects. And it's like the weirdest thing that like wasn't even something that we really did in my family, but it is deeply rooted in the uh, Cornish culture. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I think I remember that. Yeah, I actually ended yeah. up designing the, the project around biscuits or yeah. scones, um, which is also rooted in Cornish British culture. Um, but yeah, that, that was a story. I, I also wrote down, this one's completely unrelated, but also is a story about me personally. And I, I have um, taken it to heart a lot. Um, but it's basically a quote that my mom told me that I said when I was really young. And um, I've always thought of myself as like a really old soul. Like I think that I should have been born in like, I don't know, the fifties. Um, mm. I have like a real affinity for like vintage shit that has like no purpose in the modern world. And so basically my mom told me that I said, I don't want to be popular because everyone wants a part of you. And I think, I think about that a lot now because I'm much more selective with uh, my time and who I give it to. Um, and I think that it's something that people could learn from um, just because it, it kind of, kind of sets a playing field for how you should treat other people. Like if you are the shitty person, then you need to be better. But if you are the person that is giving and is focusing on being good to the people around you, then there is the opportunity for people to abuse that. So, right. Um, right. Yeah. Well, that's a story yeah, that my mom has told me. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, I mean, so many things you've talked about today have been related to that idea mm -hmm. of, I mean, you, you, you going back and forth between doing what other people want mm -hmm. versus fighting to be independent and you know the everything that you talked about with um you know your ex and and then work and you know everything um yeah it's a yeah. Uni uniqueness in yourself yeah mm -hmm. cool um so before we get to the last question is there anything else that you want to talk about or any any topics that you want to bring up um, I've listened to your other podcasts and I love them. That's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think it's a, a great outlet to kind of peer into the commentary that people don't really share with the typical world, you know? Yeah. 
um, what you mentioned earlier about um, Adam. Uh, sorry to bring him up again, but no worries. Um, you, you yeah. said like uh, people are willing to open up to strangers in a way mm-hmm. uh, that's so weird, right? And Isn't that weird. Yeah this this project actually came from that. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I started this project with uh, you know our mutual friend Judy Long in one of our classes. Uh, where we went to Market Street and we set up a booth and with a table, coffee, and a sign that said, take a story, leave a story. Oh, I remember that. You remember this? Yeah. I remember so, that. That was for a class, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the idea was for us to be the middleman and connect people. That was like our concept. What we realized was that people really needed an outlet to talk. And yeah. so we we heard some really really personal stories that um i couldn't believe that people were telling a stranger Mm -hmm. and so that kind of inspired this project it was like oh yeah you know people do want to reflect and talk about things Mm -hmm. it's just sometimes there's not a a space or a position to to do that in so yeah yeah, that's that's kind of what inspired this so yeah i think that like being a very visual person I think of like the world as being kind of this like spider web and there's all of these like Mm. webs that you don't want to step on because they're social norms. They're things that we imagine being really, really important. And, you know, in relationships too, it's like you, you learn more and more and more about this person because you want to learn more, but the more that you learn, the more walls that you build up. And, um, Mm. and it's, it's a weird effect. And I think that a lot of people are, um, touched by it um but there's definitely been a lot of encounters where i'm like god why am i even talking to this person about this and it's like uh and it's like oh it's because i needed them you know i I needed someone to talk to and and then it makes you think about well what was i not getting in my real life that made me turn to someone that i don't know (laughs) right right yeah it's kind of free of judgment i guess is is maybe the enticing exactly Yeah, I think I think so. It's like a human that is there and they are listening, but um, they're not going to judge you. Which goes back to the uh, time is a finite thing again. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That people willing to give you time are the ones that you're going to end up talking to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, cool. The last question. Uh, Well, if you've listened to any of the episodes all the way through, then you'll know it. But We as humans put up statues of people, not because we love those people, but because we love what those people represent. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue of you, where would you want to put that statue and what would you want it to represent? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have listened to your podcasts, <laughs> so I came prepared. <laughs> uh, awesome. Because this was the the question I had to think about the most, actually. Um, Because it is a reflection of yourself. And I'm not, you know, I came up with an answer like five minutes before the call. So it's like, (laughs) um, but I've followed this, this mantra for a while now. And I literally have it tattooed on my body. But it's uh, quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And I think that I can apply that to a lot of different things in my life. And, um, you know, you can, you can relate it to friendships. You can relate it to time. You can relate it to objects like 
everything. So I think that um, a statue with that as the quote would be um, a good thing for people to just mull over, um, you know, and, and potentially walk, you know, past it and see it during a time that they might need it. But, um, uh, and then I think the statue itself, um, there's like a new construction, like there's this, this big construction zone in my hometown that's been the talk of the town for the last like two years. And it's like this old paper mill that used to take up like what would have been considered a really shitty property. And now it's like waterfront property and it's beautiful. Mm. So they finally torn down a lot of the buildings and they're turning it into this like huge development where a ton of office buildings are gonna be put in there and then it's gonna become a walking street and there's a lot of art installations. And like currently right now during their construction, they have like a, a pump track for uh, mountain bikers yep. kind of stuff. So um, the location would probably be there. Um, and then I think the why subject, there? why there? Yeah. Um, because I'd like to think that, uh, I'd like to think that the ideas behind that property are pure. Um, mm. It's taken so freaking long for them to finish it that everyone is immensely frustrated and they're mm. just looking at it and there's, we're a big college town too. So it's easy for people to go to college and think of their time as very short and then they get really angry about this thing that's taking too long and right. there's a ton of people that are invested in this in this project as well and we um visited one of them he gave us a tour and he was like we were trying to get some sort of timeline out of him and he was like you know couldn't give us a straight answer and we could just see how pulled apart his brain was because everybody was angry at him for not making right. any decisions <laughs> And so I'd like to like, if I had the opportunity, I would like to help that, that project move forward mm. uh, and be seen as a very creative space instead of a very corporate space. Cause I think right. people are worried about um, money just being the final say and yep. that, you know, it'll eventually just turn into a super corporate area that like just gets sold off to the highest bidder. So that would be the location. There's also something really cool called the acid ball there. And mm. I literally don't know what it was for other than what I assume is acid that was used for making the paper at the paper mill. But it's a giant like steel ball that has this like really cool like industrial legs that hold it up. Mm -hmm. And the artwork that's been put on it is like the biggest pile of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> And it's just like, God, like there was so much potential for this like, location and everything that's been done has just been so disappointing. So I still have hope. Yeah. Um, but I think what my, the subject of the, uh, of the statue would be an origami frog. Mm. Um, mainly because somehow origami has like followed me throughout my entire life, even into my career. Like I am yep. a soft goods designer and up until now, you know, I didn't really know what, what degree of soft goods I was interested in, but every project I've worked on, even in college had origami in it. Yeah. And 
And that wasn't me making those individual choices to say, oh, I'm going to choose the origami route. It's like, no, that just happened. And, uh, you know, so I, I take it as a very personal part of my being. Um, and frogs are my favorite animals. So that's awesome. That's the origin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that's that's the last question. So uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on here and for sharing so openly and vulnerably. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm sure whoever listens to this is going to appreciate it too. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. This was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the Earthian podcast, reach out to us on Instagram at WeAreEarthian. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you and have a beautiful day.